Hey guys, welcome to the Masters of Modern podcast on the MMCast Network. We are a Magic the Gathering show talking about the modern format and each of the most awesome adjacent formats in Magic. We're brought to you today by the House of Modern, our unbelievable Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the MMCast. Please comment, leave your thoughts below, hit that notification bell, and subscribe if you want to keep getting updated on what we're doing here. And of course, follow along on social media with any of the relevant accounts. The information is in the description below. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you on the episode. Welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Gessler, here the co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, everybody? We're back. We're here. It's round two of our set review. We're very excited about it. Um, yeah, we're we're back. We're still in quarantine. That's still happening. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been really... I don't know when this is going to end. Uh, in some ways, I think there's it's cool because we get to do more of... Like, in some ways, being digital has added a lot of cool capabilities to what we're doing. We can have guests a little bit more easily. Uh, in some ways, I think just things look better and, and we can kind of uh, do it at times that a little bit more convenient. Um, we just did a cool thing with uh, the Patreon that that we'll, we'll talk about in a second that I think is made easier through this process and scheduling is made easier by doing it this way. Um, and yeah, I don't know. And, and just slowly just living in my apartment. This is my box. <laughs> we got the medical droid. We got Admiral Akbar preventing traps. Darth Vader's yeah. down there. Trying to trap Admiral Akbar with the witch's broom, I think, is from a costume of my yeah, wife's. I uh, I fully get you. It's uh, it is what it is. You know, we're we're all just we're all just living the same. We're all living the same reality, crossing our fingers. But also, I I don't totally disagree with you that I like. There's a there's a level of what we're going through that like I want to say it's cool because I would so much rather the world was functioning and normal and I could like go outside and not be afraid. But also. I feel like pretty productive. I'm getting a lot done. I find that this is not so different from what I like to do anyway with my life. I like to spend a lot of time at home. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely somebody who functions well doing that. And um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I definitely miss being able to play physical magic. That's a, uh, you and I have done some Skype magic. Yeah. And, and I mean, I've been playing Skype on, you know, been doing magic through Twitch and definitely you should follow me and Ben on Twitch. Yes. I'm Cass Wiley. Streaming. Ben Ben streaming. Uh, but also, yeah, it, it, like I'm interacting more with community members through digital content. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I've like people were joking and my family was joking that like of us, I was the most prepared for an environment where we were locked in our houses and weren't allowed to leave from a board game, video game, magic content, digital shows to watch, stuff to do perspective. And so like I even have my college friends have created like an Animal Crossing group where I'm like teaching them how to do spider hunting or tarantula hunting. I have this whole thread that they were like, like calling up being like, I'm here. I'm nervous. I'm like, you got this, make a trap. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's been really weird. And, and, and luckily we're, we're able to keep going to the podcast. The, the, the community is growing. And even though you can't play magic, talking about magic and thinking about magic with this new set that's coming out, arena and moto are around. Um, and so this is part two of our uh, set review. Um, we have a few things to talk about. One is uh, due to um, the noble of ha- uh, nobles of House Martin, I, uh, one of the requests from them was to explain on the show why my Twitch account uh, went through a whole cycle of change over the last year. Um, cool. so we'll be talking about that. We're, today is also going to be a little bit more focused on the mutate mechanic. We're going to have a little bit of discussion on where we think that fits in the metagame. Is mutate something that's going to see play in modern uh, and at what level? Um, and then we're going to then go over uh, 20 or so cards uh, alphabetically, um, just uh, 
that are going through the set review. So we did part one last week. Check that out. We talked about the lands and cycling and uh, and today we'll do a little bit on on companion because I don't think we cannot talk about companion anymore. And then it's just yeah, it's I mean you you did you did a lot of stuff on companion when you were talking to Shivam a couple of weeks ago, but that was also before the set had debuted. I think there's a lot of conversation on Twitter right now about it. And I think it's important for us to talk about it. So I, we won't belabor the point obviously because it's been talked about a lot on the show, but we definitely need to address it. It feels. Yeah, because I mean, there's a little bit of a miss on our part, right? Like during that episode recording, we weren't like spot on with what we thought was going to be how powerful they were. Um, we definitely knew they were going to be powerful. We knew that the consistency of having in their hand, which ones we picked as possibilities, like the fact like I, we didn't see the and and my greatest complaint with this set still to this day. And it's going to be is that every name is hard to say. But Garuda, I think, is the way you say it. But uh, it's the blue-black. All cards have to be even and odd. It's a six-drop when it enters the battlefield. I believe it's a 5-5. You mill yourself into your opponent, and then you get to choose a card from a graveyard and put it into play. It ends up that when your deck has a significant amount of clone effects, all of the good ones are either four and or two mana, therefore even. Uh, The one three-mana one that is good is technically a four-mana one, but it has Phyrexian mana. Uh, You can... Uh, just mill your opponent out or put so many five fives into play with Shakashima or uh, uh, Spark Double that you have, you know, 20 plus power on board. Easily 20 plus power, but you're, you, know, you can get up to like 40 uh, without really thinking about it. And it's become problematic in standard. Well, not problematic. It's we're so early days, but very powerful in standard. Very powerful. Yeah, it's very good. Started it's making waves in modern. Not to mention, like, I think literally all 10 companions have seen competitive tournament play last weekend and top eight at a tournament and maybe one missed. Um, but the blue tree one a vintage uh, Luros is in every format. Uh, Obosh, I think won something in pioneer the blue. If you think about it, if you think, I mean, I do want, I, yeah, it's, it's, they've shown up everywhere. I really want to talk about them. Um, but I think we should save the conversation for a second. Cause we have a couple things to shout out. Quickly, um, a couple of shout outs. The, the first is that uh, this show is brought to you by the Nobles of House Modern. That's a tier on our Patreon that we recently revamped. So a couple of people to shout out. Um, we've got Cam Albergini, who I, I, I probably pronounced your name wrong, but uh, he is the first person at the Storm tier. So we just got to hang out with Cam and a couple of, of our other patrons from the Nobles of the House Modern in a video chat that we're going to be doing now every week for about 10 or 15 minutes before we actually get to the episode, kind of get some of their feedback on things they want to see. Uh, we had an upgrade to the Exalted tier from Brandon S. Russell, so he was in there. And once again, Andrew Kelso, who you guys keep hearing his name because he has been a Noble of the House Modern since we launched. A couple of new patrons. We've got uh, somebody named Joel, no last name there, and then Rebecca Lockwood with the upgrade. So a uh, bunch of cool, awesome stuff there. We're really, really appreciative of everybody. Um, Rebecca's at the Scry tier now, so go check out all those cool tiers on patreon.com slash the MMCast. We have fun stuff going there and, and great rewards. Um, but yeah, I think uh, w- without further ado, Alex, I feel like we should probably just kind of get to the topics, right? We are. I am obligated to do this, so I'm going to do this now. So I changed my Twitch name uh, this year uh, multiple times. So it ends up that when we started this podcast, I created a Twitch account way before that when Twitch started showing up just to watch stuff. And that was a Xander574. And that is the my like original username. It's what I used back in high school. It's It was the second half of my first name, Alexander, and then the first three digits of my home phone number when I was a kid, my landline. Used that for a while. Uh, then when we started doing Twitch stuff at the beginning of the podcast where we did a few live shows and we did, um, I, I did some gameplay and then I also streamed a lot of Final Fantasy X at that point. I 
gained like 150 to 200 followers on that Twitch channel. Uh, then stopped streaming for like two years, didn't touch it, kind of. And then on my phone, forgot my password. So it was like, oh, I'll just create Kess Wiley. That's my like name everywhere else. I'm, I'm, I just want to have my own one. And then at the beginning, towards the uh, end of last year, we started this kind of streaming update and we started doing it using the, the during the Battle Bosses Kickstarter and that, that whole process. And so I was like, oh, I'll, I'll stream. I was like, oh, and I signed in the Xander 574 and guess why I had zero followers in, in Xander 574. The 200 was like, oh no, I need, I need to somehow consolidate this. And so without looking it up, I switched Kess Wiley to Kesco because I was like, oh, worst case scenario, I can use that for something else. And then went to sign on Xander 574, okay, I'm going to change my name. And then it was like, oh, we're sorry, you can't change your name to Kess Wiley for an indeterminate amount of time because it, someone had that name and we will eventually clear it, but it could take anywhere from six months to a year. Oh yeah. You were telling me all about the story. This has been, this has been <laughs> killing you for a long time. So, so that was extremely frustrating because, and then I couldn't go back to Kesco at that point and change it to Kess Wiley. So uh, for whatever amount of time I'd go to French streams and be like, Hey, and they'd be like that Kesco is that Kess or is that some other person with a similar name? Um, luckily eventually I unlocked, uh, the affiliate tier. So I'm able to have emotes and I was able to do a baby Yoda emote. And that is so associated with me at this point that, uh, people started realizing it was me when I showed up with my baby Yoda drinking soup emotes. You can get that if you're a sub to my Twitch stream, uh, which is now Kess Wiley. So then like literally every week, once a week, I would try changing my name to Kess Wiley. Be like, we're sorry, you're a thing. It takes too long. And, and. <laughs> Um, but like kind of abandoned the Xander 5741 one because no one would know what that was and I didn't know what to change the name to. And uh, I realized I was just going to change the Kesco one to Kess Wiley. Eventually, it had the name Kess in it. So, uh, after six months and a few weeks, I like logged in and was like, oh, I'm gonna see if I can do it today. At that point, I had slowed down checking because I thought it would never happen. And bam, changed. I'm now Kess Wiley. It like messed up the emotes a little bit for a second, but I fixed that. And here we are. I am Kess Wiley on Twitch. You should come follow and subscribe. I do. Uh, Final Fantasy playthroughs. I do magic playthroughs. We've done brawl. We've done all like brawl challenge people. I've rated commander decks there. I, any type of magic or gameplay from Final Fantasy esque magic to Magic the Gathering, the whole whole genre. It's like a lesson to anyone. Anytime you've ever made an account of any kind that you like want to be a public profile from, and it's not the one you want to actually start with, think real long and hard about that. It's a lesson I've had to learn a couple different times right. for several reasons. The first of which is that retroactively, if you're making content and you're doing it for a long time, everything that you do with the wrong handle that you promote in those first, let's say, years of your career will forever be wrong. Ben underscore Bateman is the thing that exists out there in a lot of early videos that is not who I am. And no, that's definitely not me if you find that. And, uh, you know, it's on the screens of old videos and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, you, like on YouTube, you can only change your URL one time. Like you're able to change the URL on YouTube a single time. And I think that killed us once we went back with the top decking YouTube channel. We like tried to make a masters of modern. You can change it more than one time. It's just you, they say when you change it, you can't change this ever again, but then they reset that once every like four years. So like top decking was webisodes network. Then I made it the top decking TV channel. And that was where we were posting content. Cause it's like, Oh, top decking is the thing that people know about. That should be what it's called. No one knows what webisodes network is. And then, um, then we changed it to cast games when we created the MM cast, network channel and that was fine so uh, you can change the names of things it's just weird when you can do it and it has its own issues but um 
yeah, like if you want to go find out my Xander 574 account stuff, there's a live journal out there still, I think. I think that's what my MySpace account was. <laughs> I think that's dead, though. I think they deleted all of those. There's, yeah, that just that was the name of Alex Kessler before Kess Wiley happened. And I realized I didn't like Xander. I like picked it partially out of self-hate because I like hate my full name. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Xander obviously is uh, part of your name. So like it, it is actually part of your name. Yeah. It is a cool sounding emo video game character name also. Am I correct in thinking that that sounded cool? So you were like Xander, like I could be like yes. sweet emo hair, like a character from Final Fantasy. And and I think like, you know, Xander Cage is the main character of Triple X. Yeah, Triple uh, X. Yeah, it's yeah. Diesel's character. <laughs> uh, and he's like a hacker basketball super spy skateboarder that has a, a half pipe in his house. So. I don't know. That seemed, that seemed right on. That seemed right on brand with you. Uh, yeah, that was who I was. Hacker, <laughs> basketball, super spy, kick skateboarder in 2007. Five. No, four. When did the internet start? 2000. Um, yeah. And then um, I guess someone asked also where my the name. Kess Wiley is Alex Kessler. Alexander Wiley Kessler. So Wiley and then Kess. And then they switched it around. I decided that when I decided I didn't like Alex as my name because everyone's named Alex. There's too many of us in the world. Um, so I have moved past that. Also, people just call me Kessler, and then that evolved to Kess because they're yeah, that's we, the nickname that people take. And then in my company. Mostly call you. So Kess. that's that. That is a little breakdown of everything Alex Kessler and Kess Wiley for the last month uh, time. So thank you, Patreon, for uh, – donating and, and making that happen for everybody um and I know you can't you can't get away from the salute i see you doing it. i know I look i know i know it's because you didn't you invite like... the salute we can't handshake anymore i'm getting like yeah. very good <laughs> steve hair from stranger things like this lack of haircuts <laughs> is like really going to i need to get farrah fawcett spray make this happen um so back to companions they're breaking every format every single one of them is good uh, how do you feel from a gameplay perspective of how they've kind of warped every metagame around kind of this almost commander in in formats? Well, I think the thing about Companion that's such an interesting but also sort of obvious pitfall is like, you know, the issue in the first place with the discussion about the the uh, London Mulligan was like, OK, but if even if you're getting less cards, if you're consistently able to hit the thing that you want to on the turn you want to hit it, it makes magic a much, much more like linear, powerful game. Like you can just like win and, you know, but obviously you have less cards. So London Mulligan sort of sacrifices. I guess the sacrifice with companion obviously is that you have to build your deck a certain way if you're going to have it as your companion. That being said, those restrictions, you know, format as wide as modern, but really seemingly in almost any format are not so restrictive that being able to on the whatever casting cost the card is, third turn of the game, fourth turn of the game, get the card you want. Like it's just in your hand means that if you have a way to win that's based around that, it just creates a little bit of like an unfair consistency, right? Yeah. Breaks the mechanics of magic, like not, not breaks the mechanics of magic in like the way that like planeswalkers are a new type or vehicles are a new kind of card or like the London Mulligan changes the way that you mulligan. Like it literally is changing. I don't have to worry about what part of my deck I draw as much because I know I'm going to draw this part of my deck. Right. I think that creates a bit of a problem, like not like in a we need to ban one card type of way, but like in a I don't think magic's going to be as fun of a game if that's the case. I think it's a bad, bad part of the game. Uh, I mean, it, it's interesting, right? Like it, it's basically every opponent you play that you're not playing a companion, you mulligan, you London mulligan down one. That's that's like at a base level, you're mulliganing to seven cards versus them starting in an eight card hand. Now, on top of that, 
they were able to build their deck in a way that took advantage of the fact that I'm guaranteed to have a card in my in my in my sideboard slot. So I could theoretically increase my land counts. I could be up to eight land drops and not have too much of an issue. Or, or sorry, not eight lands. That doesn't make sense. Uh, have 28 lands in my deck, uh, especially if some of those do things, uh, as almost a free roll, right? Because I, at worst, am going to draw Luros, or at worst, I'm going to draw Obosh. And so it, it, it takes two of the net negatives of gameplay, which is having to mulligan and, and, and you know, having a good keepable opening hand and mana flooding, mana flooding and removes that the risks of those um, while also creating a situation where like every game is going to play the same, right? I'm going to hit Loros every single time. And so I, I think that there is going to be an interesting moment. Now, now you mentioned banning cards and I think the funniest place this is happening is in vintage, right? Where in vintage, you can't ban cards. You can restrict them, but the cards you only play with one of them in your sideboard. So there's no real way to deal with these cards in Vintage if they're too powerful. Uh, one person hilariously posted uh, a list that was... What's the... What's the... The, the, the is it one? Um, Lutri. A Lutri list that literally the deck was every single restricted card on the restricted list. Because it's all singleton. Like the, the format can be singleton and powerful anyways. And then Lutri can copy them. Copy them. So it, it like you don't really have to work around its restriction... Um, I think it was Sam Black. I want to say Sam Black post, wrote a post that there's like a, like he kind of wishes that the cards like Lutri and the blue white one were more the design philosophy they had, where like it made it so your decks became less consistent to sacrifice for the consistency of that card being in your opening deck. Like both of those require twenty extra cards to be in your deck or your deck to be singleton. Where like the other ones just like have even spells. Yeah, it's it's um. It's really interesting to think about what you're talking about, but I think the the comparison that I think so many people are probably sort of making and and understanding and understood them the second they read the card because it already sounds so similar to this is like, yeah, but in Commander, I've been doing that for years. I will always play my three-drop Commander on turn three or on turn four unless something else better is what I have, but I always have that as my option and it's always in my opening hand. And my issue with it in Commander is actually totally mitigated in multiplayer because no matter what the consistency of hitting your you know your great three drop on turn three is or your six drop on turn six, you have at least presumably two, if not three or four or five other players to balance out your consistency with really powerful things. So they can stop you from any kind of like, I do this on this turn and then this on the next turn and win. And 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 commander is singleton, right? Like the 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 consist the consistency of a commander helps mitigate the inconsistency of Highlander. So so it I am guaranteed in a hundred card format to hit my commander every turn, but I'm not guaranteed to hit any other card to the extent that you could play five commander games. I have commander cards in decks that I played with multiple times, never played the card. I like I'm like, oh, I need to cut a card. Oh, maybe I can cut this card. I've never played it. Oh, because I've never drawn like it's not because it's bad or good, it's because I've never had it in my hand. <laughs> um, so it, it it's hard, it's hard to kind of equate. And that's kind of I think what Sam Glass point. The other the other point that someone has brought up is that technically the rules of companion are not spelled out in on the card. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So so there, there there's a chance that there's a fix of removing that rules text. Like like they're changing it. Wizards could just say instead of this starts at the beginning of your game in your sideboard and you reveal it, it could just be 
at the start of the game, put this into your opening hand. You have to have seven. You only drop this. If you if you have a companion, you drop the six cards. And now this is in your opening hand. So mitigate that that effect or um, just other different different features or maybe just companion doesn't work like there, there there's that's the alarmist side. I mean, we've been in one weekend where this set has been legal. The set's a blast to play limited wise. I actually really like the companion mechanic. Um, I, I think that we'll see if it's actually that problematically powerful. I do think right now it's really easy just to put it in any deck, though. Yeah, and I also think, like, you know, I saw a lot of stuff on Magic Twitter, people talking about just, like, everybody is always negative and complaining when things come out and they're powerful, like it happens 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that that's this. I think this is legitimately actually powerful. But, uh, you know, I mean, there are things that have been printed, like, there are certain things that have been printed over time that at one moment after they're printing, people are like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Take True Name Nemesis as an example of like, what? What is this? And now like, that's just a powerful card people play in formats. Mm-hmm. It's a sweet card. I love that card. Like, it's dumb, but it's not, it doesn't need to be banned in any format. It's just a really powerful card. I mean, yeah, I, I, I it, it's interesting. One of the things that's really interesting about Companion is that none of them have been bad, which leads me to believe it's too powerful, right? Like yeah, here is maybe yeah. the one card that hasn't seen real play. And and part of that is because it's the fairest of the 10 where like it's going to go in an aggro deck. If you banned, if the other ones weren't seeing play, Kahira would see play. There's going to be a cat deck that exists at some point in some format because I, I, I think in standard, there's a turn three win with Kahira in the deck. So like uh, kind of across the board, all of them are good, which does lead me to believe that maybe this mechanic is too powerful. Frixie Mana didn't have that, good of a percentage of hit record right like there are yeah, bad some bad mana cards there's some bad frex mana cards for sure and um so we'll, we'll get to talk about this a little more because i think there are probably uh I, or did you are we not reviewing any of the companion cards because we will did them with shivam we, we reviewed them with shivam we can touch on them when we hit them but uh, they're all on the list so the first card we are talking about is gigantha gigantha is four red green uh, Gigantha the Wellspring, legendary creature, elemental elk, companion, no card in your starting deck has more than one same mana symbol. It's mana cost. Add Wooberg, that mana cost can't be spent to pay generic mana costs. Yeah, you and I talked about this off air a little bit last week before we started. I think my thing with this card is that I understand because of the nature of the card, how it works with Niv-Mizzet and those decks. I do understand that. It feels a little bit like a win more card to me uh, because it's expensive to begin with. And like, but I do get that it's, you know, it puts you over the top and and playing it as a one of in the deck is probably totally fine. One thing we were, I, I was thinking of, I and I think part of the conversation companions is how would you have done them if we were to make them a little bit more fair? I think I actually would have liked this card more if it was the opposite, right? If it's requirements that no card could have a single color in it, right? Like they all had to be black, black, white, or black, black, colorless, or blue, blue something, or white, white something, so that she wasn't as good. Uh, oh, I thought would be like an interesting feature of the card, but uh, I think that I think part of the problem with the companion is just it's a five mana five five that you get. Uh, uh, Tom Lapilli did a cool Facebook thread where he asked, he listed like top five limited cards of all time. And it was like uh pack rat and GTA and one other one. And then, and then Gigantha was the other one. He I listed. saw this. And, and his comment there was more, this is the fairest of all 10 of these. And I still think this is better than, or as good as GTA, like as a, yeah. as a card that you can have in your opening hand in, 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 in limited, it's that powerful. And so the fact that this one, is the most boring. It's good, and it, it, it'll see play because of stuff like the Mizzet decks where you just want this card, um, but on top of that. And it's also the freest roll, right? It's not hard to put this in your deck. The cost to deck building is so minimal that often it's just right if you can cast red or green mana to play this card. 
if like you're not playing another companion, why not? If you can play it, like in Jund, if you just aren't playing any double spell cards, there's no reason not. Yeah, to. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's fair because like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, the next card is Kahira, which is the cat one. It is a white hybrid green, white hybrid green, colorless, legendary cat beast. It has companion. Each creature card in your deck has to be a cat, elemental, nightmare, dinosaur, or beast card, which are the five triomes of this world. So those are the five like main tribes. Uh, vigilance, each other creature you control that's a cat, elemental, din- nightmare, dinosaur, or beast gets plus one, plus one and vigilance. I think the thing about this card that's cool, um, the thing I like about this card is, A, I like that it speaks to a bunch of different types. I think that's super, super awesome. Um, I think the fact that this is a cat and obviously references and then plays well with the plus two plus one cat lord from Modern Horizons is especially cool. I think that's a lot of support in the last year. I, I realize they're both three drops, but one of the one of like the sort of paramount things we've talked about is like lords that are on the two, you know, two drop lords. And, you know, three drop lords, if they're powerful enough, are the things that push tribes over the top. That's like a key, a key factor. And it's not just plus one, plus one, it's vigilance. So it's making your, it's making your deck a little bit more resilient. It's, you know, it's adding an element of, of complexity to any kind of, uh, any one of these types that ever has like mana creatures that get printed into them. All of a sudden those creatures can, you know, tap for mana and also attack. I think there's a lot of cool things here with this card. And the fact that it is a companion just means that you're guaranteed to hit your lord on turn three every single game is i think pretty powerful yeah i think i think the fact like cats is cat and elementals are probably the two that are like jump out of me the fact that it is also a cat makes cat feels we've talked about how what what is the chance that cat tribal oversees play and 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 what pushed humans and what pushed and, and a lot of it is just like something unique and very powerful that they do that other decks other tribes can't do what does this do that Merfolk can't do, for instance? And this is a card that does offer that. Now, Merfolk is now playing Luro, so that's a whole different conversation. But the fact that this gives cats an angle that they get to play this card that gives all of their things a bump, makes them all vigilant, uh, and is very powerful. And that's true for dinosaurs. That's true for elementals. I don't think Nightmares is ever going to be, and Beasts and Modern, I don't think really have the tribal support. But these other, these other ones definitely do. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how, how they play. Yeah, I think also the other coolest part about this is if you've ever if you've ever shuffled up a tribal deck, generally speaking, you are really, really, really wanting to hit exactly what you want to hit on curve. Um, Humans is a little different, I think, because humans has like so many like uh, knobs and sort of bells and whistles. One thing triggers another thing. And also it's very interactive, right? Meddling Mage and and, um, uh, Sky, the kite sale freebooter um these are cards that you want to hit on curve but they're they're very interactive whereas merfolk it's like you just want to hit like a lord into a lord um and being able to hit a lord on turn three and these tribes on turn three every game just skyrockets the consistency of your deck if that's what you're trying to build and you're trying to curve out like knowing that you're always going to curve into your three drop lord is such an advantage in a tribal deck like it cannot be understated how good it is that every single game you'll always do that that's kind of amazing yep 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 um, next card is Keener Bottom Project. Green and a blue, legendary creature, human druid. He's a 2-2. Or they are 2-2. Uh, whenever you tap a non-land permanent for mana, add one mana of any type that permanent produced. Five green blue. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may put a non-human creature card from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in random order. Um, this card has obviously made a lot of waves. There's 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 uh, commander decks and brawl decks that are very powerful. I think that, but just doubling what your mana tappers are able to do is such a powerful effect. Um, it also ha- feels a lot to me like Urza, where its yep. front ability is, here's a way to make all of your things make more mana. Now, Urza makes all of their artifacts, tap for mana to begin with, 
you know, this makes all the things that would tap for mana tap for twice as much mana. Um, and then here's another ability that you, you can use that mana for to cast spells for free from the top of your deck. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's very reminiscent. It's just it costs two and doesn't cost four, but it also doesn't make you a creature and it doesn't have four toughness. I think one of the big things we can take away from this card, Alex, is that look at the last year Look at the last year, two years, three years of magic design and the idea of ramping into big green things being a viable strategy is just so much more and more what magic is becoming about. Like gone are the days when little efficient blue spells were like all of magic. A card like this is just it's a it's you could, this is a grizzly bear. It's a legendary grizzly bear, but it's like a grizzly bear that's Urza. And like the ability to get to seven mana with this is so easy. Well, I mean, I not, mean, not like you could play Llanowar Elf. Or no, let's do better. Noble Hierarch. <laughs> let's be better than Atlanta <laughs> or Elf. Noble Hierarch into into Keenan with your lands and then tap Noble Hierarch for two mana to play two more spells or another two drop on turn two. And that's like so far ahead already that it, it, it makes it very, very easy to see pretty magical Christmas lands that you get awesome stuff out of this card. I got one for you. All right, because Keenan is whenever you tap a non-land per- mana at one mana of any type that permanent produce right mm-hmm. okay so you play a you play a hierarch or a bird of paradise on turn one mm-hmm. turn two you play keenan then your bird or your hierarch taps for two that plays a, a talisman or a signet or something like that um whatever it is let's say it's a talisman because they're played in modern actually um and, and that it. talisman can then tap to play another talisman so now now the next turn when you untap on turn three you have two talismans a bird and a Keenan, and you're playing another land. You're playing a third land to go with your... So you get to nine mana on turn three in that in that scenario? You can activate Keenan, or... You, that's if you don't what? tap the, the Signet to pay another thing, or the, the, the Talisman to play a fourth thing. Like, if your whole deck costs two, <laughs> other than your one mana Accelerants and your Keenans, on turn two, you play your entire hand. Yep. <laughs> that's insane! Now, what do you do with that is obviously the challenge, but yes, I think, I think Keenan is extremely powerful. Um, I'll tell I, you exactly what you I do with that. You activate his seven mana ability. That's what you yeah, do yeah, with yeah, that. What, what, what do you get with that, right? Because right now your deck is filled with signets. Yeah, it's <laughs> And Noble Hierarch isn't the best card to play with Keenan now that I look at it because it's a human. So you want Birds of Paradise and you want like Land or Elves or, or non um, human. Non human. Mana ramp. Yeah. Um, so, but there's El Goose, I guess, is fine. It's not the best. Um, yeah, that's Keenan. Next card. Lava Brink Venturer. This is a two and a white uh, human soldier. As Lava Brink Venturer enters the battlefield, choose odd or even. Zero is even. Um, which uh, my poll that I put about zero being even did not give me faith. Uh, as long as Lava Breaker enters the battlefield, choose it odd or even. Lava Brink, Lava Brink Venturer has protection from each converted mana cost of the chosen value. So it either has protection from all white or all even cost things or all odd cost things. I believe um, we talked about this last week. I think I jumped forward with it um, because I know we talked about it dodges, it dodges push. And it I think dodges you like brought it up when we were talking about what I don't think we went into a real discussion on it. You brought up that uh, this card when we talked about how similar this set is to um, unstable. Oh, got it. Because okay. it was the, the, the odd even thing. But on that point, there's a bunch of one drop removal that it dodges, which makes it really strong. It's a three, three for three, which is not bad curve and power wise with the ability that dodges every relevant removal spell in the format. It's just a little does nothing, right? It's just a 3-3 three, three for 3. Like, 3 mana for a 3-3 three, three that just can dodge removal, but doesn't dodge creatures, doesn't... Like, there's things that can still fight it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it, it's definitely interesting. 
Yeah, it's. I think it's a. I think it's a sweet card. I think you're. I think you're underselling a little bit. I think it's going to be on. That's going to cost one is so much higher than all of those. The two drop like Jun Suite is mm-hmm. obviously in Jun, but I think for the most part, this card's going to dodge almost all removal. Um, and then think about some of the things like you can't bounce this with a three minute to ferry. You can't bounce this with five minute to ferry. Um, there are like so many of the effects that are going to be on the battlefield. I mean, think about some of the things people are playing in modern, like Uros are everywhere. This thing just attacks through Uro or mm-hmm. it just blocks Uro. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this card's actually pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, it's no true name nemesis, but it's like certainly not that far behind it in, in the context of what you're going to do with it in modern. And it's going to be a really interesting line, right? Like where true name nemesis came down and guaranteed to have protection from everything. This only kind of guarantees that like it doesn't technically. And but is that still good enough? Because if it is still good enough, this card's insane. Um, and I, yep. I, I'm, I'm leaning towards it being fine. Yeah, I don't think it's going to make a major impact, but I think that there's there are some definitely sideboard plans where this is going to be a three of in your sideboard, and you're going to be like, the only thing they have in their deck to get rid of my creatures are one drops. I'm just sure. playing a three drop that cannot be... It, it's it's just a hexproof from everything three drop. And, and part of the question to me is, is this better than Geist of St. Shaft, right? Like, that's, that's I think, the card that in my head is closest. It's different. It's better at protecting you than Geist is, and it's a th- X3 versus a 2-2, two, two, so it can attack yeah. into creatures, and, and it having protection from creatures that might be attacking to is relevant. But, like... Yeah, it'll be, it'll be, that's the one thing, right? Like it has remove, you, you choose basically, does this have protection from most creatures in the format or does this have protection from most removal spells in the format? But you don't really yeah. get both. Um, thank God it's a 3-3 three, three and not a 3-4. <laughs> uh, the next card I think is my favorite, and it might not be my favorite, but it's up there with favorite cards in the set. And that's Luminous Broodmoth. Uh, okay. Two white, white, creature, insect, three, four, flyer. All, really, you could stop there and I'd be in love with the card. But on top of that, uh, whenever a creature you control without flying dies, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control with fly, with a flying counter on it. So it gives every creature you have, every creature, it's not just non-human, yeah, every creature you have uh, persist, but instead of a minus one, minus one counter, they come back with flying a significantly better <laughs> ability than negative one negative one um, it also means that any of your it means any of your uh creatures that have a sacrifice themselves ability that don't fly so like let's just say you were going to play vampire hex mage maybe because hex mage is reasonably good in modern it kills a lot of powerful things yep. you just put this down on turn four and then your hex mage can just sacrifice to kill a planeswalker and comes right back as a two one flying first strike Yep. Any of those cards, any of those cards that you have that do something cool like that, that can sacrifice themselves. Any any creatures that sacrifice to draw a card, um, literally any of them, mm-hmm. um, you know, seems pretty good to me. Yeah. A lot of value. No, and, and, and like Solemnity is the card that people point out it does go infinite with. The value on it is so high, right? That That's what's really exciting about it. Uh, next card is, oh, um, well, I, I heard that this card's doing things in the format. Uh, it might be pretty good. <laughs> it uh, has lifelink. It is uh, a 3-2. You can cast it for black, white, black, white, one. <laughs> uh, Luros of the Dream Den, Cat Nightmare, each companion, each permanent card in your starting deck has converted mana cost two or less. It has lifelink. During each of your turns, you may cast one permanent spell with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard. Um, Why is this card a companion? Like, there's nothing, there's nothing about the companion restriction that is even necessary. Just make this a regular card, and it already would see tons and tons and tons of play. The fact that it's... What? 
I think that's good that it doesn't have that it can't be its own companion, right? I, I think it's actually seeing less pay, play than people thought it was going to at first, purely because it's like not able to be played with itself. The fact that the blue black one is seeing more significant play in multiple formats than Loros is kind of hilarious. Uh, but yes, this card's insane. <laughs> I guess the fact that you can play this on turn three, like you can play your Loros, and and you like you said, you can't have more Loroses in your main deck. And okay, so your opponent just like lightning bolts it, whatever, they kill it right away. It's not like playing a deck with converted mana cost two or less permanents is a tough thing to do in eternal formats. It's like all I like to do. I like don't like playing anything that costs more than two anyway. I just the, to me the restriction is not a restriction. Like I I, re, I realize it is, but it's just such a minor one. I this card to me feels well the fact like, that like the, a foolish printing. Like the fact that Jund is playing this instead of Liliana's the Veil, right? Like they're cutting Liliana and they're cutting Bloodbraid Elf. And they're just playing the black red uh, elder titan, and they're playing the you know red and sixes and bobs and termagoyfs and just two drops, heavily taking the fact that Bob is awesome with this card, and just playing this, and and they're just so much farther ahead because this card is available on their sideboard that like it's significant. I and mean, you were talking about if your opponent lightning bolts this card, they you you just played three mana for them to discard a card. And you draw, you basically drew a card and they discarded a card, right? Like that's, that's what you did. You paid three mana to draw a card and they discarded a card because. Yeah. And then also those decks, those that I realized that the traditional Jun decks are not necessarily playing unearth, but you certainly can. The, a lot of the, a lot of the, cro- the Croxa, what's his name? Croxa? Croxa. A lot of the Croxa decks, the Croxa decks I've seen play unearth and they play claim fames. That's a thing people are doing. It's a Rakdos deck in modern. So slot this guy in and they kill it and you just unearth it right back. And then you cast something right from your graveyard because it all costs two or less. Right, right. And and there's just like a lot of really cool stuff you do with this card, right? Like you can rebuy Croxa, you can rebuy um, Mishra's Bobble. Mish- uh, yeah, Bobble's a big one. Which is the, a big thing what people are doing with the card. The fact that Merfolk is now playing this card just because it's they they can easily modify their deck to be two drops and one drops right they're like they lose marrow Regery. and then they, and they, and it's called Lurfolk, so it's especially sweet yeah <laughs> uh, so they lose marrow Regery, uh and that's it and then they get this and they're just bl- uh, they're either blue black or blue white depending on which removal like they get better removal um, they do get the really good white blue Merfolk land, which is I guess good to splash white with. But then like it's such a free roll to play this card in that deck, and it's so good because you get you get to play this, and then your next turn you get to rebuy Lord of Atlantis that they killed, or you get to rebuy the uh, on turn four you can rebuy the uh, one drop that you protect yourself counter spells. Yes, mana. curse catcher, curse catcher. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. This this Loros is like gonna make waves, and everyone knew it was going to. Um, it's hilarious to me that going into this weekend, everyone's like, Loros is the best card maybe printed ever. Like like this is this is where does this rank in the top fifty? And does it? And it did pretty consistently. And it's not even the best companion. Think about any. Or it's not. It's not, the, it's not doing the most work in formats as a companion. Think about any tribal deck. Think about vampires. Think about zombies. Think about any tribal deck you could possibly want. I just talked about curving out into a three drop to make your cats better. I mean, you're mentioning Merfolk, and you know, it's. I guess it's a little tough. This card is is you know a black white hybrid card in a deck that tr- tr- consistently wants blue blue. Fine, then play it in the black deck. Then play it in the deck that yeah, just wants yeah. to play black zombies and black vampires, and or play it in the humans in the the, the, the white based humans or soldiers or knights deck. I mean, there's so many things that this right. card is doing. Yeah, 
Yeah. The next card is a memory leak. So it's one black two for a sorcery target opponent reveals their hand. You choose an online card from at that player from that player's hand or graveyard and exile it. Um, and it cycles for one black. Uh, I like this card for a couple reasons. Number one, anything that cycles for one colorless, I think is always reasonable and worth looking at. But I think specifically the fact that for three mana, this can exile a card from their graveyard um, is very good. Like they're like this, this in a pinch is going to be the card in your main deck. That's going to just get rid of a, uh, like an Uro. Like, I think that that's fine as a card. I also think that like, there are plenty of situations where you're going to play this one turn early and just like exile their primeval Titan. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but the fact that it cycles away, if you don't need it, you know, think about it. If this plays in a deck alongside like Thoughtseize or something like that, and you Thoughtseize on turn one, so you kind of know what's in their hand, you can game plan around it. You can know if you need to cycle it or if you need to save it. I think that uh, this is this is a card that there's probably not going to see a, like a lot of play with, but I think that the versatility of what it's doing with a graveyard and the fact that for one, you can just get rid of it, I think is actually pretty good. Yeah, I think I think that cycling one is such a powerful set of words uh that you should kind of always look at what they're doing the fact like the fact that i've like played limited games of this format where i had less than 14 lands in my deck because i had just so many one mana cyclers that i could just guarantee to hit the lands i want and i don't think i've ever played a game of this format where i didn't feel i was getting mana flooded every game just kind of like oh i have so much cycling to get to cards i need um that i'm just drawing lands now my Issue is I'm drawing sometimes the wrong color lands, but that's a here or there and involves me playing five colors every time I can. But um, yeah, I think I think that, you know, just Thoughtseize is a powerful effect. This is attached to a cycling one and that that's such a versatile combination that is is relevant to keep an, an eye on and decks that maybe want a cycling spells deck like, uh, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, Marshall's. Um, Astral Drift. Uh, Astral Drift deck. And, and actually uh, people on Twitter have asked for that list. So Marshall uh, has been kind and has posted in the description of this video, um, a link to his deck list so that people can find it. Um, that was me telling Marshall to do that while also telling you the world that he did it at the same time. Uh, sweet, sweet. Yeah. So the, the next cards we're going to talk about are actually a cycle of cards. And these are the mythos. Um, this is mythos of Nethroi, mythos of Brokos, mythos of Aluna, mythos of Snapdax, mythos of Vadrock. These are the legendary creatures. Um, they all are single color spells that if you use the uh, two things that make it the wedge color, so Mythos of Luna with two blue-blue, but if you spend red-green, you get an extra effect. And so it's create a token that's a copy of target permanent if red-green was spent to cast this spell instead of create a creature token that's a copy of that permanent with this permanent end of the battlefield if a creature is up, it fights a creature. So basically you clone a creature, you clone a creature, and then if you spend red-green mana, it then also fights a creature when it comes into play. Uh, there's, some, there's some weird stuff going on here. The first one is that four of them cost... Color, color two, except the black one costs three. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I, I look at them and I'm kind of like, it's like a sort of a strange decision. I don't, I don't know why you have four, four of them cost four, but one of them costs three just cause, unless I'm missing a, the point there. It's the effect, right? It's, 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 they, they decided they wanted a black two removal spell that could, if you spent exactly black, white, green, destroy target permanent versus destroy target creature. I think that's that's yeah. all it was, right? The, the, it's more it's more of just like what does this effect do, and how can we balance it? Um, I think that the black one is is probably the main one that really is ever going to maybe see play in modern. The fact that it's it's like an instant version of Maelstrom Pulse, right? It destroy target yeah. non-land permanent if a creature or if black and or green and white was spent to cast the spell. Uh, 
the wording on all these cards is obnoxious. <laughs> and I understand yeah. why they're this way. It's just like the way you have to word it. This one in particular is destroy target non-land permanent if it's a creature spell. Or if green and white was spent to cast it. And the reason that is is that if you just target a creature, you could target any non-land permanent. And the way that the rules work is then it checks if you spent the mana to cast it. So it wouldn't work to do it the way that you would want it to conceptually. And that's just because rules are rules and eventually make a system that's so complicated that you eventually end up with a cycle like this. But this is an instant speed Maelstrom Pulse if you are playing uh, Abzan Colors. Um, so green, white, black. So I think that is, makes it super relevant. And then the fact that it also is better than Maelstrom Pulse, because if you don't have all three of your colors, like I've definitely had Maelstrom Pulse in my hand and I'm like, I don't have green mana. I have black the and red right color. and I'm stuck. Yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're a base black deck, this card is just an instant speed destroy a creature for three, which you're not going to want to play, but it's fine because it's instant speed, you know. Um, and then the fact that for three mana, it's like, you know, people people spend three mana to cast a charm um, often, like as a thing that people have done in Magic's history. So that one, I think the other ones are all a little expensive. But yeah, the templating on these cards and the wording, I understand why, but it's was combined with all of the other new mechanics was one of the stranger parts of the set. I like this will make my head hurt when I read these cards. I, not because I don't understand what they do, but trying to like read them and make sure that I'm getting it right away. Mm -hmm. I'll forget about these cards. And then somebody's going to play one against me in a game of Highlander in like a year and a half. And I'll be like, wait, what? Yep. Remind yep. me again how this works. Uh, the next card is Narset of the ancient way. It's one white, blue, red. It's the Jeskai Narset. She's finally Jeskai again. We have a Jeskai planeswalker plus one. Um, Loyalty, you gain two life and add one blue, red, and or white. Spend this mana only to cast a non-creature spell. Minus two, draw a card. Then you may discard a card. When you discard a non-land card this way, Narset of the Ancient Way deals damage equal to that card's converted mana cost to target creature or planeswalker. Minus six, you get an emblem with whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this emblem deals two damage to any target. Um, and the art's awesome. She's like doing a high kick. It's really sweet. Yeah, um, actually, uh, you Marshall said, you said up there, so... You said right. uh, gain two life, add one blue, red, and or white. It's just uh, it's just white. Uh, it's not it's not uh, and because you can't add all three. Colors oh, sure, for, sure, sure, for the sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's it's blue, red, or white, not blue, red, and or. Yeah, correct. Um, interesting thing on this card is every ability is two abilities. Not the ultimate, I guess, but the other two are two abilities, right? It's gain two life and a mana, loot, yep. and then do damage to a target creature or planeswalker, which is weird i guess as a choice it's cool it's like part of the theme i guess that she's a versatile she's a martial artist so she can be very uh tai chi flowy uh and and go with what's happening but i, I think this card's really cool um i don't know where it ranks among planeswalkers in jeskai and if you would play this all over other ones but the fact that this can cast other planeswalkers with it does add to a jeskai uh, uh super friends list and that that kind of world of cards which is really interesting um and just the minus ability is really strong, right? Discarding a card and killing a thing, looting and killing a thing for four mana that then leaves a permanent in play is is definitely a thing that would be interesting to have. I think the miss on this card for me, if I really wanted to push it into the zone of like very exciting, is I think that the minus should you should be able to deal damage equal to target creature, planeswalker, or opponent. But I think that it should also deal that damage to you um, because the plus ability gains you life and it has red in the cost. So I think if it, if you took the same damage they took, it would mean that if you discarded Emrakul, you'd both lose 15. So it wouldn't make it like super outrageously broken. It would just mean like the same thing, that discarding something huge to kill a Planeswalker or a creature is fine. But also if you are ahead on life because you've gained life with the plus, you could parallel win the game, which I think would be awesome. 
I don't know in terms of story if dealing any damage to yourself is something Narset would never do, but I imagine if you're dealing with fire, probably you burn yourself sometimes. Oh, no, story's fine because she's she's story wise, her her plot is that she was the leader of the Jeskai and then she became a rebel a rebel against the um Ojitai, right? So like herself harming herself, or at least her her leader is literally on flavor. That's like what her deal is. She wants to kill Ojitai. Yeah, so it feels. I mean, that so that feels like probably the place where I, I would think I would look at this card and be like, that has a really like really cool, unique ability, um, as opposed to right now, which is like the minus is sort of like <laughs> it's weird how this card is like a it's reminiscent to uh, Nahiri, format of Nahiri in some like small ways. Two of the that's colors like, on curve, same casting cost. It's like a draw this card effect. The win condition is worse. I guess that's kind of a good example. Like, would I rather play this or Nahiri? And I think I'd still rather play Nahiri than this card. Yeah, within reason. So the next card we're going to talk about is Luca Coppercoat Outcast. We're going to round out the Planeswalkers for today's episode and end it there. Uh, and he is a three red red legendary Planeswalker, Luca. Um, he has plus one exile the top three cards of your library. Creature cards exiled this way gain. You may cast this card from exile as long as you control a Luca Planeswalker. Uh, minus two exile target creature you control, then reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card with higher converted mana cost, put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in random order. Minus seven, each creature you control deals damage equal to its power to each opponent. Uh, it comes down on five, so you can plus it to six, you can minus it down to three. Uh, it's five mana Planeswalker, which is a little harder to see play, but in uh, the art, it literally looks like Ian Dixon uh, hanging out with a giant saber-toothed cat with wings, bat wings. Uh, and... um. The thing about this card is that it has uh, what's it called attached to it, and so Polymorph. It's five mana, get Emrakul in play as long as you're building the deck correctly, which is not that hard to do now. Especially, it used to be a little bit harder, but there are now so many things that like make things and make become creatures just accidentally. Like you can even play like Heart of Kirin, right? And then like this comes into play, and then you can remove a loyalty counter and still minus to get Emrakul sacking your Heart of Kirin. Like there's just so many different ways that that would work. Not to mention all the other planeswalkers that make tokens. Um, yeah, that that by itself is pretty powerful. Plus, worst case scenario, if you don't have the creature, the problem with Polymorph also was like this card does nothing unless I have the setup. And if they wreck me on the setup, I just spent four mana to sacrifice a creature I control and do nothing. But isn't isn't so so I don't have it in front of me here. But isn't it uh, the other ability is the dig ability? Isn't that what it is? Yes, yeah, so exile the top three cards of your library. Creature cards exiled this way. Gain, you may cast this card from exile as long as you control a Luca Planeswalker. So it's it's like right. so, it's it's exile three card. It's like creature version of Chandra's ability. Yeah, so it's like, but that doesn't work with the Polymorph ability because if you exile cards, you're looking for creatures and you're not playing any creatures in your deck so you can get the other half of the ability. That's why to me, it's like, I get sure. that it does something sort of in the way that Polymorph doesn't. And there's, there's things you could do. Well, like, but you get, it's like two of them, right? You get the... Because he doesn't die, and he can just ultimate again in the next turn. Yeah, just it, at five mana versus four mana for Polymorph, even though I know this is... I'd still play Polymorph over this, because I'd get to my combo faster if that's what I'm trying to do, and I would just win with my combo. Okay, so. okay. Um, the, and then the last card we're going to talk about today is Vivian Monster's Advocate. And this is the third Planeswalker in the set. These are the three Planeswalkers. It's Narset, uh, Luca, and Vivian. Uh, Vivian is three green-green, uh, Legendary Planeswalker Vivian comes out on three loyalty. Uh, she has uh, a static ability. She technically has two static abilities. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. Uh, it's not revealed. You can look at it whenever you want. And then you may cast creature spells from the top of your library. Uh, so she 
already cool, are already kind of a plus that draws you cards. Then you can plus one to create a 3-3 three, three green beast creature token, put your choice of vigilance counter, a reach counter, or a trample counter on it. Um, or minus two, when you cast your next creature spell this turn, search your library for a creature card with lesser converted mana cost, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. This and, card is no. Yeah, so like where, where the other one was five mana and then like its two abilities didn't really work together in a way that made it worth playing, I think Vivian's like just awesome. I like love this card. I, like the fact that you can cast Kitchen Finks with her and then that cascades into Malira <laughs> just on its front end is like, and that's a medium thing to be doing. But like the fact that you can get combos, any two card combo, basically the turn you untap with her is really good. The fact that she draws cards and you can search, look at the top card of your library and then cast creature spells off of it, which is drawing cards is great. Uh, and making a three, three beast that is a vigilance beast, a reach beast or a trample beast. I've, I've now had Vivian twice in limited, uh, an Incoria Limited is just such a back-breaking ability by itself. I mean, like, so Vivian is amazing for several reasons. Um, if any of you guys have played the card Future Sight, Blue, Blue, Blue 2, you may play the top card of your library and you play with it revealed in any format, but specifically in Modern Cube recently on Moto, you know how good that card is. It's People don't realize that just, like, having the top card of your library revealed, if you're a creature deck... And this is a Planeswalker. This is not a do-nothing five-man enchantment. This is a great card. It's going to come right. down and give you that ability, but also make a creature. And you can pick the type of protection that you need to protect your Vivian. And then the next turn, you can just get two creatures into play by casting one. As you mentioned, I mean, you have you have the combo side of it, but you also have the, like, um, you have Valiant. the combo side of it. But you also, and yeah, and you have the side of it that's like, okay, cool. I'll uh, delve a bunch of cards and cast my Gurmag Angler next turn, and then I'll get something that costs six out of my deck. Right. Sounds right. cool. You know, like I'll just I'll just angler into primeval. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> sounds dope. It cost me one black, by the way. And, yeah, um, and I like that's she has such cool potential there, and and yeah, like the the token ability is so versatile. The fact that it can be as aggressive as possible, which is which is a, vigil, uh, a trample. You have like the tempo of vigilance, which allows you to protect yourself while also doing some amount of damage, or reach, which is like. So many times of Planeswalkers, I want to protect it. And it's like, well, I can't block flyers. And this is just like, nope, I literally, they can't attack. Unless it has unblockable, it does, I'm in the way. It does cost five, which obviously is a, you know, that's a real thing. But I think it's really cool. And I think in green these days, getting to five mana is so easy. I, I love this card. Right. I'm a big fan. Right. I mean, even even um, like Primeval Titan then cascades into Uro. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a no, play it's, here. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, there's, there's, there's insane things you can do. So um, guys, we are going to get out of here in just a minute. And before we do, there is one thing I wanted to ask you guys to do. Um, you guys have heard me in the past talk about something called nerds and suits. It was a, it was a thing that I was doing a few years ago, or at least a brand I was trying to build. And I just have launched a YouTube channel this week. You're going to hear this probably the day the channel actually launches or, or the day before. But it's a, it's a channel I've always wanted to launch. It's basically going to have one-on-one long-form interviews with my favorite people in the entertainment industry. And I'm also doing a show called essentially Music from Movies. I haven't totally named it yet. But it's essentially like taking my favorite songs from my favorite movies, uh, ones where there's a really meaningful original song or a song that's famous played in a great scene and kind of breaking down the scene and then covering the song with my acoustic guitar because I'm getting back into playing music again. And so uh, that show paired with the interviews are going on Nerds and Suits. You can check it out at youtube.com slash Nerds and Suits. It's been a dream of mine to have a channel like this for a long time. So please go check it out. Hit that subscribe button. If you want to support me, it would mean the world to me. And uh, that's all I wanted to say before I got out of here. Yeah. And uh, obviously, please follow us on Twitter. Thank you to all of our patrons. Um, Thank you, everyone on Twitter. Thank you. Actually, one big shout out to 
uh, uh, listener altars at Listener Elf. They sent me all of these really awesome uh, magic altars that have the di different Disney characters and their companions from the new set. So my favorite personally being the cycling uh, Sky Shark Rider and the Sky Shark that they made to look like uh, Moana and um, Maui. Cool. And Jeskai that are really dope. Um, and they have every, they have they have Coco and Paco, which is like Coco from the movie Coco and his dog buddy. Um, and they have Scar and the hyenas, and they have it's really dope. And I'm really excited and really thankful. Thank you so much for sending those to me. Uh, big shout out to Marshall for helping edit all this content. Um, hopefully this episode is good and people like it. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter. Uh, all of that stuff is everywhere. And then also make sure to follow on Twitch. Uh, I'm streaming there regularly, as I said, uh, at Kess Wiley. Um, everywhere and now you know why and it's I own it everywhere and don't look at my live journal yeah and the, <laughs> and, and the last of our videos we, we recorded with professor came out today um, when I was in the history of modern you can go check that out it's an oral history talking about that and the banning of splinter twin its effect on the format um, Alex did a really cool one talking about picking a deck for modern we did one about different archetypes to win with and then mine just posted today so go check that out give a give a nice comment we are so appreciative the professor brought us out there to do that and um, absolutely we had a great time yeah. so uh, thanks to everybody for listening and watching and we'll see you guys with uh, the last part of our set review next week thanks everybody Production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.